And we could turn, please, uh, again to Psalm 89, page number 920, and we'll pick up our reading from verse 19 down to verse 37. Psalm 89, verse 19. Then you spoke in a vision to your Holy One and said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found my servant David with my holy oil. I have anointed him. With whom my hand shall be established, also my arm shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him, nor the sons of wickedness afflict him. I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who hate him. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. Also I will set his hand over the sea and his right hand over the rivers. He shall cry to me, you are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My mercy I will keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand firm with him. His seed also I will make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his sons forsake my law and do not walk in my judgments, if they break my statutes and do not keep my commandments, then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness, nevertheless, my loving kindness, I will not utterly take from him nor allow my faithfulness to fail. My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever like the moon, even like the faithful witness in the sky. Selah. Amen. And we come now to the uh, proclamation of God's word. Just let us pray. Our gracious God, we bow before you. You're the one who awakened us this morning to a new day. A day that you had planned from before the foundation of the world and you have ordained all who should be here. You're the one who has brought us to this very hour. And Lord, we believe that when your word is preached, your voice is heard. So we ask that you would grant then beyond the voice of a mere fallen man that we may hear your voice. And in hearing it, Lord, we ask that we may trust it and obey it. Sometimes that word comes, makes us feel uncomfortable, challenges us, rebukes us, certainly corrects us. But ultimately, Lord, we pray that we would be instructed in your truth, that we would be led into righteousness and built up. Those of us who name the name of Christ, that we would be built up in our most holy faith. 
and that you would awaken any who are dead in trespasses and sins, drawing them savingly to yourself in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. 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 And we're currently in a little series on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, 22 through 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such. There is no law. Now, this morning, in the providence of God, we come to faithfulness. And in turning to faithfulness, we're moving, obviously, closer to the conclusion of this little series on the fruit of the Spirit. Now, as we have uh, conducted this little study over the past several weeks, I've laboured the point, and purposely so, that the fruit of the Spirit, as it is produced in the lives of God's children, is there as a result of God, who began the work in us in the first place. Uh, God is the one who gives us a new heart, and God is the one who moves us to obey him. By nature, we are part of a fallen race. By nature, we are dead in trespasses and sins. By nature, we are alienated from a holy and a righteous God. By nature, we are children of wrath, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 2. By nature, we have hearts of stone, hearts of rebellion. But by grace, God moves. God takes the initiative. And he sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to live a life that we could never live. He goes to the cross and he dies in our room instead. He is buried, but praise God, three days later he is risen from the dead. He is now ascended on high and we await his victorious return from heaven. And when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ repenting of our sin and acknowledging that we need the warmth of his embrace, his blood cleanses us from all sin. And instead of a stony heart, he gives us a soft heart, a fleshly heart. By nature, we have no interest in the word of God or the works of God. But by grace, the seeds of his goodness are planted in our lives. And the fruit of the Spirit, as it's produced in the life of a child of God, is a reminder of a principle that Paul adopts in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, in relationship to the proclaiming of the gospel. It's a verse that many of us will be familiar with, that one plants, another waters, but only God can give the increase. And what is true of evangelism is equally true in terms of Christian devotion and growth in grace. It is God who makes things grow. It is God who, by his amazing kindness, plants the seeds of growth within our heart. And he makes them grow. And he grants to us both the privilege of and the responsibility of planting and watering. So that the fruit of the Spirit, as we have been considering it, it doesn't, uh, you know, take place in a vacuum. That growth does not take place in a vacuum. 
in the pastoral epistles, Paul told Timothy that he had to train himself to be godly. Now, that sounds like something that we are supposed to do. And of course, it is exactly what we are supposed to do. Peter also, when he writes to his readers, encourages uh, the readers of his epistle to make sure that they add to their faith godliness. And those passages and others remind us that to grow in godliness is to grow both in our devotion to God and at the same time in likeness to his character. As I said, we are part of a fallen race. Uh, We were created bearing the image of God and the fall marred that image. The image is broken and in conversion, God is renewing that. God is remolding that image in us. Uh, So we come to faith, start to grow in grace, something of the character of God begins to be manifested in our lives. So devotion to God and likeness to his character is tied in with, it's inextricably linked to working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is tied in with, uh, let everyone examine themselves to see if they are in the faith. Now, it is worth just reminding ourselves again that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches, and the crowd, we are told, were cut to the heart. They said, what shall we do? And Peter tells them, repent and be baptized. Now, that's the order. That's the biblical order. You repent, you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and then you are baptized. And after that, then what happens? Uh, Peter says, When you repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. Added to the church. And Luke says they continued, firstly, in the apostles' doctrine. That is, they uh, committed themselves to the teaching of the Bible. To understanding God's truth. As it is revealed in God's word. Secondly they devoted themselves to the fellowship of God's people. So they weren't saved and they went off like lone rangers. To do their own thing. They were saved, committed themselves to the teaching of the word of God. And to the fellowship of God's people. They devoted themselves thirdly to the worship of God. As it's expressed in the ordinances. Baptism and the Lord's Supper, only two ordinances. And they devoted themselves, fourthly, to the practice of prayer. Not only personally, but also corporately. Now that account from Acts chapter 2 is there, not simply, so that you and I might know how the church began. But beloved, it is there as a reminder to us of how the church of Jesus Christ will continue down through the ages. It's impossible to neglect these things without depriving ourselves of the very means of grace provided by God in order to cultivate 
stimulate and develop growth, uh, the growth of, a spur, uh, of this uh, fruit in our lives. Uh, the fruit that we are obviously considering uh, this morning specifically is the fruit of faithfulness. I want to consider that first of all with respect to faithfulness as it's grounded in the character of God. And then secondly, I'll do that then the second one briefly, uh, faithfulness as it's exemplified in the person of the Son of God, and then thirdly, as it's cultivated, as it's applied, or supposed to be applied, in the people of God. So first of all, uh, faithfulness, the faithfulness of God. At the outset, it's important that we understand that the word here for faithfulness is essentially it's an expression of trustworthiness. Essentially, the fruit that is produced in our lives is the fruit of reliability and trustworthiness. God, we are told in 2 Timothy chapter 2, is absolutely faithful. And he's absolutely faithful because he cannot deny himself. It's an impossibility for the living God to be unfaithful or to be untrustworthy. And so as we think about faithfulness, we are thinking in terms of fidelity to the standard of truth. And we're thinking about reliability in our dealings with others. I just put that one in the back burner. We'll come back to that near the end. You know, faithfulness with respect to our dealing with others, specifically within the household of faith. So, we look at the character of God. And we say, is God true to his word? Yes, he is. Is God faithful in his dealings with his people? Yes, he is. We look at ourselves and we ask... Am I true to my word as God is true to his word? Am I faithful in my dealings with people as God is faithful in his dealings with people? Because the character of our heavenly father is that which should be uh, being produced in us. Say that image that has been marred, broken as a result of the fall, it should be being remolded in our lives. And again, let us be clear, this is not a natural virtue. This is the work of God in the life. And it's no exaggeration to say that the whole Bible throbs with the drumbeat of God's faithfulness. Have you ever... Uh, take time, you're at a loss what to do on a Sunday afternoon. And get yourself a concordance, look up the references to faithfulness, and you will find yourself focused for many an hour on God's amazing faithfulness. The Psalms are awash with references to God's faithfulness. Did you pick that up from our opening Psalm this morning? Yes. Hopefully, you picked it up from Psalm 89. Psalm 89, 1 and 2, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. 
your faithfulness you shall establish in the fairy heavens. Verse 5. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the saints. My friends, do you see what the psalmist is saying? The psalmist is saying, let's just get started in this way. Let's marvel at the fact that God is a faithful God. Verse 8, he says, O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you? O Lord, your faithfulness also surrounds you. And so on through the psalm. It's a wonderful picture of the faithfulness of God just emanating from his person. And when you read through the Bible, uh, you discover this emphasis again and again and again that God is a faithful God. You know, in Genesis, uh, Abraham and Sarah were given the promise by God that they would have a son. And Sarah laughs, a son? Come on. Uh, how could we have a son? <laughs> We're ancient. We're over the hill. Wasn't a, a good response. But Sarah bore a son. And the writer to Hebrews in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, verse 11, tells us that Sarah received strength to conceive when she was past the age. High on earth. Did she receive strength to conceive when she was over the hill? How? Hebrews 11, 11, Because she judged God who was faithful. And he was going to keep his promise. Because he judged him faithful who promised. God is totally faithful. His faithfulness is revealed in his character the Lord is faithful. He remains faithful. That's why the hymn writer, maybe we should have sang it this morning, but the hymn writer, you know, give us the wonderful hymn, Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thy changes not. Thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thy forever will be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. You see, beloved, any good hymns, any hymns worth their salt are ultimately tied to the Bible. He who promised is faithful. His faithfulness is unassailable. It's everlasting. It's immeasurable. It's incomparable. Eventually, language just has to bow down before the immensity of it all and the eternality of his being. God keeps his promises. He is faithful. He preserves his people and he sustains his creation. You know, in this age in which we are bombarded you know, from all quarters about climate change and the world being in meltdown and everybody should be panicking, you know, don't let the BBC or secular society, you know, form your ideology or your view of life. You let the Bible do that. 
When you bow before the Bible, it tells us that God sustains and he sustains his creation. And he will sustain his creation. You know, he will bring it to an end when he chooses. You know, why have we not all burnt up? If we were any closer to the sun, our planet would flat would fry. If we were any further away, we would live in a permanent ice age. Scientists say, the godless scientists say, you know, it's all luck. Random process and chance. The Bible says no. The Bible says it was all planned. By a wise and wonderful creator. He said, let there be and there was. He created. He sustains. Why is it those of us who are saved this morning are made and have been made members of his family? Because God is faithful. Why is it we are still in the game? Because God is faithful. Maybe you're here this morning and you doubt the faithfulness of God. Maybe you've come out of a circumstance in your life that has been particularly pressing and difficult. Maybe there's something in your past that you're struggling with. And you decided that, you know, there's a period back then when maybe God just lost control. Because if he was so loving and powerful, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen. And it just skipped the faithful part. Now, friends, God is faithful in all his dealings. God is faithful in all circumstances. No mistakes with God. He sweeps even all of the bad stuff into the unfolding drama of his purposes to make us fruitful, make us more like Jesus. And so, secondly, the character of God is it's then revealed in the Son of God. All the fullness of the Godhead that dwells in bodily form is found in Jesus. As I said at the beginning, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because basically we could sit on this second point literally for months. I'm just going to highlight a couple of points and then... What I hope you'll do is follow up on what you're hearing. I'll leave you to consider for yourself this second point and move on on it in your own. Consider for yourselves and read through the Bible. And as you read through the Bible, you will discover that what I'm telling you here this morning is true to the word of God. And and you can read the Bible right the whole way through to Revelation 19 and that picture of the triumphant Lord Jesus Christ. And John looks and he beholds a white horse. And the one sitting on the horse is called what? Faithful and true. Faithfulness as revealed in the Son of God. He was faithful. He came to do a work and he completed that work. Even when he's wrestling in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's crying with those great sobs. Sweating great drops of blood. And he's saying, Lord, if there's any other, Father, if there's any other way, you know, find it. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Oh, you see, he is faithful. He is faithful to the end. 
Some of you may know Stephen Curtis Chapman's song, My Redeemer is Faithful and True. Everything he has said he will do. And every morning his mercies are new. My Redeemer is faithful and true. And he says, Luke, when you come to me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will walk with you through every step of the journey. And I will keep you from stumbling. I'll keep you from stumbling into those gross sins. I will keep you from stumbling into hell. My hand will be upon you. Why is it that you believe that you will continue to the end? You know, you've professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever wonder whether you'll make it to the finishing line? It was not a question we posed a few Wednesdays ago. Do you ever wonder if you'll make it to the end? Oh boy, you've come through many wonderings, haven't you? You realize yourself to be a sinful soul. How often we have gone off into bypath meadow. You may have dwelt with Bunyan in Doubting Castle and experienced the ravages of giant despair and fought against Apollyon. What is it, beloved, that gives you the confidence that you will finally cross the finishing line? That you will finish the race? That you will complete the course? That you will fight the good fight to the end? What is it? It is the faithfulness of Christ who has promised that I will lose none of whom the Father has given me. It's his faithfulness. Because he has promised to bring to completion the good work that he has started within us. In fact, you read of his majesty. You read of the majesty of it in Romans 8.30. I think we touched on this on Wednesday evening. um, When we were discussing that point by Packer. And Gwenon put that helpful post on on the WhatsApp group. But when you, you read the majesty of, of, of God's faithfulness and carrying through what, what he began in us, Paul writes in Romans 8, verse 30, and he, he actually uses glorified in the past tense. But glorification is still ahead of us, isn't it? And who says, Paul, whom he called, those He is also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. But wait a minute, I'm not glorified. You're not glorified. It's in the past tense. Why is it in the past tense? Because it's absolutely certain. It's a done deal. It's a given. On account of what? On account of the faithfulness of Christ. What are you going to do in the face of temptation? Trust in his faithfulness. He is faithful so that he will not cause you to be tempted beyond that which you are able. But with the temptation will also provide a way of escape. Think about that. Think about your life. Think about the moments in your life. Where if you had have gone that way instead of that way. Goodness knows where you would have ended up. What was God doing? He was manifesting his faithfulness. Now that brings us. To the third point, to the application of this. This is where it gets uncomfortable. 
the application of this in terms of our lives. So, if it's grounded in the character of God, if it's exemplified in the person and work of the Son of God, then it has to be produced. It has to be seen in the lives of God's children. And in particular, we are thinking of faithfulness here. Now, again, there are numerous numerous areas in which this could be applied. You know, faithfulness with respect to your promises in relationships, with respect to your marriage, husband, wives, uh, parents, children, children, parents, faithfulness in the family set up, faithfulness in singleness, faithfulness in work, faithfulness in your commitments that you've made. Obviously, I won't be able to cover all of them without this becoming a mini-series within this little series. But just bringing it down to the very basics of everyday life. You and I live in a society that is comfortable, is comfortable with unkept promises. We live in a society that is comfortable with faithlessness. Our society is quite happy with broken vows. In fact, tolerates, might even say, promotes and encourages faithlessness. We live in a society in which if it doesn't suit you to stay faithful, then don't be faithful. If it doesn't suit you to be faithful to your promises, then break your promises. If it doesn't suit you to tell the truth, then tell lies. That is the environment in which you and I live. And it's against that backdrop that Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 2, verses 15 and 16, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, against that backdrop of perverseness and crookedness, you shine as a light in the world holding fast the word of life. Now, what does that mean? It means hold forth the word of life as life is seen in our lives. Faithfulness in a non-faithful world. Joy in a gloomy world. Patience in an impatient world. Love in a hateful world. Peace in a troubled world. And so on. The work of God produces within us and what the work of God and the Spirit of God produces in us is in order that you and I might commend the gospel in this dark, fallen, broken, crooked, perverse world. You're to make the gospel attractive by how you live your life. Make the gospel attractive to a world that's heading in a different direction. Remember the old hymn by Philip Bliss. Philip Bliss gave us a number of wonderful hymns. Among the man of sorrows, what a name, and almost persuaded. But the hymn, um, standing by a purpose true, heeding God's command, onward then the faithful few all hail to Daniel's band. If you're not familiar with the, the first, you'll be familiar maybe with the chorus. Dare to be a Daniel. Dare to stand alone. 
dare to have a purpose firm and dare to make it known. Dare to establish faithfulness to God. Faithfulness to his word and to his people. So bring that little thought that I asked you to put in the back burner. The start of the service, bring it to the forward. Bring it onto the front burner now. Faithfulness to God's people. So that we do not neglect the meeting of ourselves together. Because we realize that part of the reason for our gathering together is in order that the means of grace may be granted to us. That we might become increasingly fruitful. That we would grow. And I think that one through. Just don't let it pass. Does it apply to you? You know, along with the exhortation to read your Bibles, this has probably been the other exhortation that I have labored the most from this pulpit. The importance of our assembling ourselves together. Let me ask you, it's not rhetorical, so you don't have to, to answer the questions aloud. If you want to, you can. You know, I won't, I won't complain like. But um, have you been born again? Yes. Amen. You're able to say, I've been born again. I, I am a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I've been baptized upon my profession of faith. Are you in fellowship with a local faithful body of believers who have also been born again? And been baptized upon their profession of faith. Are you faithful or faithless? What will the Lord Jesus Christ say at the judgment to those on his right hand? Boy, Billy, how do I know of him? Well, I'm going to be on the right hand. Well, let me remind you of what I said at the introduction of last week's sermon. We began this series in part to answer the question, how do I know that I'm a Christian? How do I know I'm not kidding myself? My heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So says Jeremiah, I agree. How do I know that I'm not deceiving myself? How do I know that I will be on Christ's right hand and not that left hand on the day of judgment? 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. So what should I be looking for in that test? What evidences, what proofs should be displayed that would confirm or demonstrate that I am what I claim to be. And it's not just all hot air. Well, if you're a Christian, this fruit that we're considering, faithfulness, as well as the others we've been considering, it will be manifested in your life. It will be seen in your life. What will Christ say at the judgment to those on his right hand? Matthew 25, speaking on faithfulness, Jesus says in verses 21 and 23, well done, good and faithful servant. Not well done, good and successful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. And then in verse 34, the king will say to those in his right hand. Okay, here's the right hand. Come you blessed of my father and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. It's the faithful who inherit. Are you faithful or faithless? Apply the test. Dare to establish faithfulness with respect to God's people. 
Hebrews 10, 24, 25, let us consider one another. Faithfulness to God's people. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. But exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The day of judgment. So, beloved, do you see how this needs to be worked out in connection to the Lord's day? Not the Lord's morning, but it's the Lord's day. And the assembling of God's people morning and evening. Do you see how this needs to be worked out with respect to church, the body of Christ, church fellowship, church membership? Use whatever term you want, but are you in fellowship? Are you in membership with God's people. It's tied in with faithfulness. To God's people. Linking back obviously to. Faithfulness to God and his word. I say there is absolutely. There are no limits. To the areas that. We can apply this. But that particular area. Certainly needs some attention doesn't it. Essentially faithfulness. The fruit of the. The fruit of uh, faithfulness, as with the other fruit, will be revealed in the entire fabric of our Christian lives, either by its presence or absence, so that we are by grace, by means of uh, of regeneration, demonstrating the evidence of it in our lives. So you see, we are now to become, by the work of sanctification, in every part of our lives, Manifesting these things. We're to be spiritually healthy believers. Growing in faithfulness. Much of that takes place. Within the confines. Of the assembling together. Within the body of Christ. The local church. Grow in faithfulness beloved. Do you want to grow in faithfulness? Of course we want to grow in faithfulness. Do you want to grow in love? Joy? Peace etc. Of course we do. You know, we say, we say of our children, wow, look, look how you're growing. You know, saying it more now that we Israel's arrived. Wow, look, look how he's growing. You know, he's fat, chubby legs like. You know, he's filling out. And you could just eat him like. I'm obviously biased. I'm his granddad. But look at, look at how he's growing. Apply that spiritually. How are you growing? Are you maturing? You're still a babe in Christ. Are you mature in Christ? Grow in faithfulness. Now in conclusion, a little qualification. Remember, this is not works righteousness. It's not that we're trying to make ourselves acceptable to God by self-improvement. Of course not. We can't become faithful simply by trying. It's God who produces the fruit. But you're not going to become faithful without trying. You can't become faithful by trying. It's God who produces the fruit, but you won't become fruitful without trying. Sounds paradoxical. It is. One of many. What is the word of Jesus Christ to the church at Smyrna in the book of Revelation? Be faithful. Be faithful to the point of death. It's an exhortation. It's a directive. How am I to be faithful? 
answer by the work of the Spirit of God within us. But what does it mean to be faithful to the people? Well, when we gather, I'll gather with them. What does it mean to be faithful in worship? When they sing God's praise, I will sing with them. What does it mean to be faithful at home? Well, if it says to do something in this book, I'll do it. And we'll be enabled to do so by the grace of God and the work of the Spirit of God in my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that your character is faithful. That your Son embodies all it can all it can mean and does mean in humanity. And certainly the work of the Spirit within the lives of those of us who have been redeemed should certainly increasingly be marked by this fruit. Help us to work it out in our lives, not just to dismiss it. Lord, pour out your grace and spirit upon us. We pray that we might be increasingly marked by abiding faithfulness, a faithfulness that stood the test of time over many generations. Pray that you would bless the refreshments that would be served after the, after the closing hymn. And any conversations that are struck up or questions that are asked, that you would grant us the wisdom to answer them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.